0: Hello and welcome to the Redefine Instruction webcast series where we bring a fresh perspective on learning and development with every single episode. Go ahead, grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and enjoy a few moments talking about L&D with me. Hi, my name is Sandhya Lockenball and I am your host for this series. Subscribe to our webcast or look out for new episodes on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or log on to RedefineInstruction.com for the latest trends on l In this episode of Redefine Instruction, I shift my focus to talk about professional development. Professional development is an ongoing part of an instructional designer's career. Whether you are a new professional or a veteran looking to grow your knowledge, this episode is for you. Since the beginning of my career, I have endeavored to grow my knowledge. It is this quest for knowledge that led me to find a hidden treasure that I strive to share with you today. A few years ago, I stumbled upon two organizations that provide professional development to new and veteran designers. Professional Development for Instructional Designers or PD for IDs and association for educational communications and technology or aect these two organizations seek to present development opportunities on training design project management gamification and much more in this episode i speak with pauline Maliana and kayla jutsi who are the founders of pd for ids Pauline is a veteran designer with over 12 years of experience as an instructional designer at California State Polytechnic University, Pomona. She is currently pursuing her dream of completing PhD in instructional design and technology from Old Dominion University, Virginia. She has done extensive research in how learning analytics can inform instructional design to foster self-regulated learning. Her broader interests include systems thinking and design learning. She is the founder of PD for IDs and serves as AECT's president for the Graduate Student Assembly. Kayla Jutsi is an instructional designer at Tulane University. She started her career at Columbia College Chicago Online several years ago. Her passion for instructional design began with George Washington University, where she worked and completed her master's in higher ed administration and a certificate in instructional design. I had the pleasure of working with these wonderful professionals and both organizations as a guest speaker and a judge. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Pauline and Kayla. Hi, Pauline. Hi, Kayla. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Redefine Instruction podcast and webcast series. I'm so glad to have you.
1: Thank you. And thank you, Sandia, for having both of us here. It's an honor for me uh, personally to be here. Thank you again.
0: Thank you, the honor's all mine. So um, Pauline, Kayla, I know I've known you for a while, but for the benefit of our listeners, um, both of you have had a really unique journey into instructional design. And I know you've been doing design for a while now, but for the sake of the listeners, can you walk me through what your path to instructional design looked like, where are you at, how did you come up, come upon this career and why did you choose it?
2: I came to instructional design via higher education. Um, I have a master's in student affairs and I went to graduate school right out of college. Um, so I spent some time at the George Washington University where I went to graduate school. I worked in student support admissions and then went back to student student support. Um, And it was in that job, I worked at an online school of nursing that I discovered what instructional design was because we had an instructional design department um, and we were using quality manners at the time. Um, And I was pretty unsure of where my career was going to go next. So when I discovered it, I thought, well, this seems like a lot more flexible than what I'm currently doing. There's a lot more growth opportunity. Um, I have the potential of working remotely um and it also you know tends to have a higher salary so if i want to have a family i think this will be a good move for me um so i went back to school in 2016 to get a graduate certificate in instructional design and i was fortunate enough to um, do some volunteer work at the school i was working at to help them build courses in their lms um, to learn things about captioning accessibility and formatting Um, and pretty much within 10 months i had my first job in instructional design, which was pretty exciting because I went into it feeling like what is what is going to happen here and how successful am I going to be. And before I even graduated, I had my first position.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Pauline, can you can you share a little bit about your journey? Absolutely.
1: So uh, I have a bachelor's degree in education that i earned back in indonesia and then i immigrated here to the u.s to the united states and i earned my master's uh of art in education here from a university here at cal poly pomona well cal poly pomona it's a short name of this university but the long name is california state polytechnic university at pomona and it's in california so while uh, I was working on that master's. I was also uh, I also had an opportunity opportunity to work as a student assistant or a student worker for a department on campus called e-learning so that's where the department creates uh, learning intervention learning solution and learning products and then they also provide consultation uh, for faculty on how to do course design and also some of the pedagogy and uh, some of the uh, learning theories so things like that and then by the time i graduated from my master's uh i applied for a job over there And at the time there was a job and it's called LMS Specialist, uh, Learning Management System Specialist. And then I applied and I got it. So that job gave me. So from my master program, I got some instructional design background, right, Uh, because it's an MA in Educational Multimedia. So I got my ID background from that master's and then I studied my ID related job. Uh, as an LM, especially, and I. Uh, and I said id related job because it's not exactly instructional designer, right? Uh, The title is called uh, LMS Specialist. But, and then my job at that time was to provide a faculty consultation and training on course design using LMS. So it has something to do uh, with using LMS, but it's still about course design. So, and then after a few years, uh, my title got updated. And of course, after that, it entailed uh, more instructional design tasks and duties and getting less and less on the LMS side. And then with that updated title, I got a chance to work with some faculty or subject matter experts, that's what we call, right? Uh, I got a chance to work with some faculty on creating simulation. and then at the time we call it learning objects. So, and I think I love it because uh, as an instructional designer, if you think about it, you have that power to change people's knowledge and skills, right? (laughs) And, and I feel like I'm an important person, you know, doing this job because I can make a change uh, to people's life. And I think it's, Uh, one of the most important things uh, of why
0: I love instructional design. Wonderful, Mm -hmm. wonderful. As I'm following your journey, what the theme that I am picking up, the nuggets that I picked up from both of y'all's conversation was as you were transitioning into instructional design, you, you kind of steered your own professional development right you you seeked out professional development for yourself whether that was through volunteer work kayla like you said or was it it was as a student assistant for you pauline I, I think that you guys were go-getters. You went and seeked out opportunities. And a lot. And that's one of the things I personally, as an instructional designer, struggled with is to keep up, even today, to keep up with my professional development. But I think the struggle and the gap becomes so much wider for someone who is transitioning from another career and wants to pursue mm-hmm. instructional design or training. Um, and... And I, I want to say it took me years before I found the golden hidden nugget, what you guys call PD for ID, which is a baby that the two of you are working on and have worked on for several years. And I want to showcase that. Um, for new designers, and even for veteran designers who are looking for professional development, can you give me a background on the history behind PD for ID? What is it? Um, you know, just the logistics around it, and how did you come to be part of that mission?
2: I believe, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, Pauline, all of this started because I made a Facebook post of like, what are people doing for professional development? I was new in my position. I worked at a startup um, within a small college in Chicago, and there wasn't a lot of funding for professional development in terms of conferences or traveling or pretty much anything like that. Um, And so I made the post of, well, what are other people doing for professional development? It seemed obvious to me that you would find webinars or read articles or join groups, but I was just curious to see what else is out there. Um, And then I had this idea, well, what if we had asynchronous professional development? That's not quite a live webinar. It's not quite training courses like LinkedIn Learning, but it's somewhere in the middle where we have more control over the content that we're putting out there. Um, And from that conversation, someone else was like, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Let's, Let's do it. So we started having conversations it was kim scott and i who's an instructional designer at fedex Um, and then we started planning and we brought pauline in the mix and i'll let pauline share how she got involved Um, and it kind of just went from there and i think eventually we decided that instead of having a facebook page that was just a like page with information we would start this facebook group Um, and we dabbled in other social media platforms and Um, I know personally I'm not as active on Twitter or LinkedIn as I should be. So I think Facebook was just natural for me. Um, I can't believe that we've had, like, we already have 2,600 members in our Facebook group, which is just phenomenal. And over 500 participants in our live events. Um, so it's been, it's been going really well and I think people get out what they want and, information is always available, so I'm excited to kind of see where this journey goes um, from the future or in the future, and how we kind of evolve as we yeah. go along.
0: Yeah, it's been a it's been a wonderful journey, Pauline. How did you get involved, and what is it about PD for ID that that uh, the mission that calls you or brings you uh, towards it? Yeah,
1: so. Kayla, you were right. So she posted uh, her idea on Facebook and it was a Facebook group called Instructional Design in Education. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I saw it and then I thought it was a good opportunity for me to uh, do community service and to give back to my instructional design community. So, and I have some more story about it personally, because at the time when I saw her post, I either I was about to resign from my full-time instructional design job, or I had already uh, resigned. Uh, But at the time I was so, um, I decided to just, focus on my phd study and then just do it on a full-time basis uh Mm -hmm. instead of multitasking with a full-time job so at that time I personally needed something, something that, uh, to keep me or to maintain my, uh, practical skills, you know? So I used to work as an ID, practicing ID. And then now if I just work on my PhD study, what am I going to do with my, uh, practical skills that I had? So at the time I had like my own personal need. Oh, and I saw Kayla's post. If I do this, if I help her coordinate this uh asynchronous professional development for other instructional designers actually I can gain a lot of opportunities here I can gain a learning opportunity also because I can also get involved as a participants right I can also gain uh uh improved networks because I still want to engage with other instructional designers who are still on the field uh, who are still practicing and then uh, on top of that, you know, it makes me feel what is it not maybe good, or something that I can fulfill my intention to uh, uh, give back to the community. Right. Uh, so that's, I think that's from
0: my side of story yes yes what a wonderful journey and and it's been an amazing calling and did i say it's free it's been free for all these years and it's waiting to be discovered and i was just overwhelmed myself so a little bit about my journey is um so when i of course the the reasons are exactly similar to what you said pauline is is that that self-development that's a that ability to speak to that community right because i think as instructional designers it, it takes a village you, you don't the, the knowledge has to come from the community and you know we as instructional designers hardly ever design in isolation it's always a nugget from one place a, a nugget from another place and in a and the 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 outcome that develops is just this beautiful outcome that we put out to our, and it's ever improving. It's never perfect. But but that's what the benefit of the community is. And that was my journey. And that's why I gravitated towards towards PD for ID and to contribute and have had a wonderful relationship with the two of you for several years at this point. Um, so what I want to say, the unique thing, one of the more unique things, not just the free cost aspect and, and the the community and the networking but the unique aspect about pd for id is is it, that sets it apart is that the usual conferences that you see for uh, from big communities they generally decide the theme of the of of the conference mm-hmm. and they have like a running five or six themes that they put out and then they ask there's a call for proposal uh, mm-hmm. around those themes What distinguishes Speedy for ID, which is so, so unique is the way you guys crowdsource for themes. So you instead of giving the theme out up front, you are actually going to the audience and asking what they need. So sort of doing a virtual focus group to find the needs of the environment of the community at this point in time. Walk me through how you came up with the idea of crowdsourcing and focus groups the way you do it and how does and you do it every single time so every season that you put out for pd for id you do that whole crowdsourcing exercise all over again every year to keep that theme fresh so walk me through first what that crowdsourcing methodology is and how does it go from visualizing crowdsourcing to actually take shape in the form of the conferences and the presentations that you offer?
2: Kayla, can I can I tag you for that? Sure. Um, Pauline, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember exactly how it got started, but I just felt like, yeah, this is just something we should do. We should have a survey. What do people want to learn about? Um, and we picked, as a group, we picked you know six or seven, eight topics that we thought were relevant in the field um, and with a little other option as well, and then send it out. And now it's kind of just self-sustaining. Every time we plan an event, we say, hey, what do you guys think about these topics? Before we make the survey and I copy the Google survey, I make a new one, change the topics, and then we send that out. Um, and then depending upon the results, um, to tally up like what's the the top four or three or four results that people have picked and that's what we use for the call proposals the hard part is finding people to actually meet those topics that people have voted on so i think that's kind of where the gap is um sometimes we hit the mark and sometimes we get things that are generally related um but i think the intent is always there uh, to find those
0: awesome 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 Pauline mm-hmm. uh, do you do you think this is something that you want to continue using going in, in, in future is that has that worked can we can you tweak it um, what are you looking from the audience's perspective like what kind of what can the audience give you to get you a better response for crowdsourcing and making this work
1: yeah so the first answer is absolutely because as I am reflecting about what we did, in the first few months coordinating or planning, like we were talking, Kayla, Kim, and I, we had a meeting and then we were talking first. So how do we get started with this? And then we were like, wait, we're instructional designers. We should start with the needs analysis, right? So I think it is a right uh, step to start with the needs analysis. So we did that first. We did that first, we asked people whether, uh, whether, Asynchronous professional development events would be suitable for them uh, to help them overcome the issues with money, budget, or travel restrictions or time restriction. And then we also ask them about what would be the time, uh, what would be the the most possible uh, time. And then at that time, people, I think people mentioned about either summer or winter. That's when they think the work is a little bit uh, slower or quiet down. So we started from over there, uh, Sandia. And then I think asking people about what they need would be the right way because we don't know what their, uh, the changes in their workplace, whether, we don't know what kind of new tasks are going on uh, in their workplace. So I think it is right to ask them about uh, what they need to learn, the topic that they would like to learn. uh, So that way they can hit that, what is it? Just in time knowledge or just in time Mm -hmm. learning needs, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I think this is something that I would like to continue to do or to doing, but of course there is still room for improvement uh, so I think when we did the, after we did how many events, Kayla, maybe three or four events, we did a formative evaluation. Okay. So we surveyed people about how it is going, how it's been helpful, and then what are the things that could be improved. So uh, we did the formative evaluation and we even published the result in mm-hmm. a journal, Uh yeah, and I'll share it to you later on uh, the link to get that journal. Awesome. Uh, so that's, that's, that's from my insight, uh, Sandia.
0: Awesome. So what, what is it that you had hoped that people would walk away with? And then after you did that formative assessment, were people actually walking away with what your what you had intended to put out there or was it more than what you had expected or is is was did did, it, did the findings totally surprise you
1: um when i wrote the result i also did some literature review uh, so i looked at all of those uh, research that people already did Uh, regarding professional development asynchronous way Mm -hmm. Uh, so we found out that time has always been an issue i know we want to do this so that people can overcome the time restrictions but Mm -hmm. still you know they're still busy at work and things like that when they're busy at work they don't have enough time to go access the professional development modules Mm -hmm. so that's one so that's why even when we have like exciting number of registrants Mm -hmm. but the actual number of people access the modules were less Mm -hmm. so time has always been an issue that's number one Uh, but to overcome that time issue uh we we decided to uh keep the modules open as a self-paced format whenever we're done with that one week asynchronous time right
0: Right. Which is, I think, really unique because most conferences have like a cutoff time. And after after that, unless you are paying uh, an extra premium to access the recordings, or they're just done. You know, they're gone. So I think that's that's another unique advantage that um, PD for ID has is is not just the asynchronous piece, but then they can a year later, two years later, you can always go back and refer to those trainings.
1: Absolutely, sandia Can I add something also yes, yes, about absolutely. that formative evaluation results? We also yes. found out that people uh, perceive the value of learning through these professional development event. So even though less people access the modules and actually they found out it has been valuable. So that's why we want to keep it because we we do believe people can still get takeaways or they, they can still get learning opportunities from this.
0: Right, right. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to the mission that the two of you set out to achieve is, you know, reaching out to people and people actually seeing the value in the work that you're putting in. And, and, and I see that that year after year, you improvise and you still put in all the effort. And, you know, I know that there's a lot that goes in on putting in that conference. So uh, for new people uh how can they uh find out when the next conference is going to be held or is it on a yearly cadence and then how can they register for the sessions
2: so i would say the most most of our communication comes from the facebook group um and i try to when i make the post i share with other facebook groups so if you're not in our facebook group you will find it some way um and generally registration happens within a very simple Google form where you fill out your information that helps us get some demographics about who's registering. And then once you submit, there is a self-registration link to the free version of Canvas, which is where we host all of our events.
0: I see. So it sounds fairly easy. Um, and, and, and I want to point out that if there are any questions that people have about sessions or comments or feedback that they want to leave, your Facebook group is is the place to be. They should probably be joining that group uh, to leave comments, questions, or requests for future conference sessions or presentations. Um, yeah. and, I, and I'll go ahead and add that in the show notes um, as well for for convenience. So yes. let's let's talk about the sessions itself. Um, mm-hmm. The sessions are really unique, and so I'm just and in my mind I keep going back and comparing it to traditional conferences, right? You have in a traditional conference you would have like a panel of ten people or more. Um, mm-hmm. That once you submit your request for proposal, they look at it, they shortlist it, and then you go and present. Uh, One of the things that that is really unique about PD for ID is the peer review process that I want to bring forward. So Mm -hmm. I want you to talk a little bit about once the content is submitted, how is it reviewed and why is it so valuable to have that peer review process before it goes out into the world and is presented in front of the entire
2: audience? yeah um so once the google survey goes out for the call for proposals it comes back into a spreadsheet form and then we share it amongst ourselves to see what are the topics what are the descriptions and what are the objectives we want to make sure that all three of those things align really well Um, and if we have additional questions we'll reach out to those presenters and then if we decide to move forward we send them um, a packet of information about how they're gonna get started, what's the timeline. Um, So not only do we review them as a group, we also review their presentations before they go live in the session because we wanna make sure that they're well designed, that they make, you know, they're clear, they're formatted well, and then they meet our rubric standards. Um, So it's a pretty, I would say rigorous process, even more so compared to an in-person conference. Right, right.
0: Because I think in in, an in-person conference, um, it's definitely reviewed, but the 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 panel doesn't have access to the complete presentation or content before it's presented, which is which is a leverage that you have. You get to see everything in and out and review it, and I think it is advantageous even for the presenter because then they are getting direct feedback before it's set out in the open audience. Um, and then and just to to reiterate it is a conference that happens once a year every summer, correct?
2: Now, it, we used to do two a year um, and I'm, I'm aiming and, you know, I think once Pauline finishes school, maybe we'll get back into doing more than one a year. Um, but for me personally, December has just turned into a really terrible time for planning and, and organizing because it's that final rush before the start of the spring semester. Um, so I think summer is just a much better time in general.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Um, so Pauline, another one of the conferences that you're deeply involved with is AECT. And I know it happens um, end of fall, uh, beginning of winter. Can you tell me a little bit about what AECT is? What does it stand for? And then, you know, what can people expect to gain for, from participating in those conferences, in that conference?
1: Sure, Sandia. I'll be happy to talk about my personal experience uh, getting involved in ACT. So ACT stands for Association for Educational uh, Communications and Technology. So it is a professional organization for those who are in the instructional design and technology fields or relevant or other relevant fields. So their members uh, consist of instructional designers. Like the practicing uh, practitioner, uh, IT practitioners from various sectors, because I have met IDs from higher ed, uh, also from corporate, as well as freelancers. And then there are also educators, uh, and those are like professors teaching the IDT uh, program, and also teachers. There were some teachers also, or if it's not teachers, it could be people who are uh, in the K to 12 settings, as well as administrators like the director of online learning or director of L&D. Uh So I got to meet uh, professionals and also scholars and professors, and they are very supportive. And ACT has been around supporting our field since 1923. Oh, wow. Who knew, right? 1923. So uh, they, they, they have an important roles in uh, defining our field. And especially because they've been around, around for a long time. And to me, it is really my uh, home professional, professional home. There you go. It is really my uh, professional home. And particularly as a doctoral student or as a PhD student, uh, it is important to network with other people, uh, not just with scholars, but also with other practitioners or uh, administrator and then the learning opportunities that I have gained, and also the leadership opportunities. So I have to mention that, not just professional development opportunities, but also leadership opportunities. So those are actually uh, provided by ACT. Awesome. Um, yeah.
0: awesome. And, and I want to add to that, um, I haven't been as involved as you have been, but I will tell you that there are also opportunities to judge applications. So not just meant for new designers, but for people who've been in the profession for 10 plus years, if they're looking to expand their knowledge, they can volunteer their time as a judge and then get exposure to all of these, these good presentations and peer-reviewed articles that are coming in in the background. And and I found that personally very fulfilling, because that kind of gives you a sneak peek on how different organizations approach learning and design. Um, So, again, because you've been involved, can you walk me through a little bit about the themes and the different realms in which AECT offers professional development, like what are the kind of presentations they can expect from the conference?
1: Sure. So ACT has like multiple, what is it? Multiple or provide multiple outlets for professional development. So as you know, they do convention. So they sponsor or hold or coordinate uh, annual conventions, right? Where people can present. Well, before they can present, they have to uh, submit the proposals and then it will get peer-reviewed and then if you're accepted and then you'll get to present right so as you know by presenting you can gain public speaking skills and you know public speaking skill is important for instructional designers right Right. and to me also as a doctoral student it's one of the things that i must have if i want to succeed and and i would I would like to emphasize that to my fellow or my colleague, instructional design colleague as well. And then by presenting, uh, your work will get noti- uh, will get recognized, right? Mm-hmm. You will increase your visibility, and you get to talk to people. And then by talking to people, you also improve your network. Now you know more people in the in the field, right? Right. So that's one. And then to me as a doctoral student, I get to meet the people who author uh, my textbooks wow. and also the articles that I have been reading for my coursework. So that's just like an amazing experience. And then you get to talk to them and you get to conduct some kind of collegiate uh, discussion. Uh, so that's that. And then uh, ACT also provides a publication outlet. They have journals, right? And then they have different types of journal, not just one type of journal where it's all about research, 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 but they also have journal where you can submit, for example, design case paper. Mm -hmm. And I have uh, wrote a design case paper where I talk about this project, this simulation project that I worked on with my uh, Cal Poly Pomona colleagues. So I described what the project was, what entailed within, within that project, how we design and develop. And then we also talk about the design constraints we don't live in the perfect world, right? Right, right? When we think, OK, doing instructional design, you analyze, and then you design, you develop, and then uh, implement and evaluate. But and then in the real world, there's always something. There's always constraints. There's always tension. So I also talk about those constraints and tension and how we solve, how we overcame those uh, uh, constraints. And then to me, writing something like that is also uh, like my portfolio. So, uh, where I can showcase my work uh, and I know in your portfolio, in portfolio, people typically talk about what the project, what the description, but in the design case, because I can talk about the tension and the constraints and how we overcame those constraints, I feel like I had an opportunity to talk more about it. I had an opportunity to showcase what I am capable to do beyond just designing and and, uh, developing a learning product. So that's that. Yeah, and then there's also networking opportunities within ACT. You know that networking, it's not just about meeting people. You can't just meet somebody one time can I work with you? Right, right. Right. That will be like, I mean, you can, I think, but, but I think it's really rare. So I think networking, it's about forming a relationship over time. And by getting involved in ACT, I get to know people that I make friends with them. And it's gradually forming that professional relationship. And if we trust each other, oh, yeah, I can trust her. I can trust her also. And then let's work together. And, and, and I love that about ACT. And also, one last thing, ACT provides award opportunities. And I know listeners, our listeners, instructional design uh, listeners here, I know you have been doing amazing work. Why don't you submit it for an award nomination? Gary? get it recognized uh, and get it uh, awarded. And you know that getting an award will look good on your resume. And ACT has multiple, multiple award opportunities.
0: Wow, wow, thank you for for bringing that forward. And when you talk about networking and working together, that's kind of how this relationship started right with the three of us is because we meaningfully worked together on projects we met over PD for ID, and then it just blossomed from there. So I want to combine the two worlds of AECD and uh, AECT and PD for ID. I know you guys are doing a panel um, this year. Can you talk a little bit about what that panel topic is, what does it look like? How did you come up with the idea of presenting this panel on AECT about PD for ID? Absolutely.
1: Uh, The panel, I met a professor from Indiana University, Bloomington. His name is Dr. Daniel Hickey. So, it was it was an interesting actually it was a funny thing because uh, he has research projects and he also develops a professional development for educators mm-hmm. asynchronous professional development for educators so there oh, is wow. some kind of overlaps right in our in the things that we have been doing so he found our papers that's about the formative evaluation formative evaluation we did for PD for ID. So he found that paper, he reached out to me, oh, we're working on something similar, it looks like we have similar missions, you know, except our target audience are are not exactly the same. So, and then I had a meeting with him and he had this idea, why don't we do a panel session for ACT? And then he knows another colleague, another professor who also uh, develops uh, professional developments, asynchronous as well for educators, like for teachers. So, okay, let's do that. So we worked together on a proposal and I pulled in Kayla, because it's part of our PD for ideas, right? right. Uh, so we worked on that proposal, we submitted, uh, we submitted the proposal already, and I hope, I hope it will get accepted so we can go to ACT and then present in a panel sessions. Uh, and then if we get accepted, we will discuss things about what the most effective aspects of the design of our professional development and we'll talk about how we facilitate the engagement at the same time being responsive about people's learning needs. And we'll talk about how we have, how we have evaluated uh, components of our PDs and what the results were. And then we'll talk about the challenges and any future recommendations or any future work in order to improve.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for giving me a sneak peek. Um, Kayla, do you want to add some color to that panel discussion?
2: Um, no, I think Pauline said it pretty well, but I did also want to point out, Pauline, I, or I wanted to ask you about the other presentations that you've done at ACT about our organization. Do you've done one or two? I did one. Yeah.
1: Actually, I did too. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> how this collaboration has so been so things. fruitful, right? So yeah. I was able to present like twice, about two, uh, what is it, two uh, presentation sessions. Okay, and let me talk about it. The first one, we just talk about the procedures, how we did it, how how we coordinate the PD, the asynchronous PD in uh, PD for IDs, mm-hmm. and then when I when I presented, I met someone. And that someone is Kristen Austin. Mm-hmm. And then she came to me. I would like to get involved, you know, your PD idea is So interesting. And I would like to get involved. And then hopefully I can also give back and then work together with you. And that's how we have Kristen. Oh, wow. And then the second time I presented, it was about our formative evaluation
0: uh, result. Okay. Mm-hmm. How wonderful! Yeah. How wonderful! It just goes to show how much good work you're doing with that PD for ID uh, conference that you put out, um, and don't get paid for it. There's nothing, nothing to gain for you. You just—it's its a mission. It's truly a calling. Um, How can instructional designers get involved in both AECD as well as PD for ID? There's the audience perspective where they sit and receive information, but if they want to get more involved with PD for ID or AECD, what are some of the things that they can get their hands on?
1: We're instructional designers, right? We believe in scaffolding learning right when we create uh, our learning solution or product we always think about how do i scaffold the learners right. so why don't we scaffold our participation and our involvement Maybe we can start by observing, observing what's out there, what what other colleagues have been doing, whether it's in PD for IDs or whether it's in ACT. Uh, And then we can increase our observation by attending the webinars or workshops or events that they coordinate. So again, that way we can still observe how the people engage and interact and what are the things that I can learn uh, from my observation. Observation, and then slowly you can uh, increase your participation now if you are more comfortable because you have met them you have met more people maybe you can ask them reach out to them and don't be shy just reach out to them and ask I'm interested to get involved. Is there anything I can do? Do you need any help when you coordinate uh, professional development? Maybe it, maybe just creating infographics, maybe helping with the promotion on social media. And then slowly you scaffold more and then increase more of your particip- uh, participation. Okay, now I'm ready to uh, do more. What can I do? Maybe I can lead something. So that's what... That would be my uh, recommendation for my fellow instructional designers who would like to get involved more.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think you covered a bunch of topics in there, and I, I'm still curious to hear Kayla's perspective. But um, you said volunteer, right? That's that's your gaining experience right there for for new mm-hmm. and for experienced people who are looking to add. Um, job description skills in their resume, volunteering is a great opportunity because not only does it give you the leadership skills, but it also expands your network, right? So if you're looking for that next job, whether that you don't know where your next job is coming from, or you don't know if you're going to need references for that next job. So that gives you that network networking capability as you're volunteering and putting adding to your resume. So I think you you covered it all. And also the whole you know, baby steps at a time, right? Dipping your toes in and getting your feet wet and then eventually going full scale and saying, okay, well, maybe I'm ready to pull the plug and I want to present now or I want to be a judge or what, what have you, which would be for more experienced designers. And I think, um, going back to the diversity aspect of what you said uh, for AECT, just the diverse group of people that are involved in AECT as well as PD for ID, that just, you're not just networking with one type of audience, you're networking with different levels and, you know, who knows who's the hiring manager looking for people out there, you know, who's going to recommend your name to whoever your next opportunity is. But um, Kayla, is there any other way um, that people can get involved from your perspective? Have you done something in the past to gain experience that has been particularly successful
2: for you? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I mean, pretty much what Pauline said I was was really thorough. I I like the idea of like, you know, going, observing, volunteering. I mean, that's my plan with AECT. So this is my first conference in November. Pauline and I have actually never met in person. So I'm really excited about that. Um, And then I do hope to volunteer while I'm at the conference. And that's something I've done in the past. conference volunteering and i find that it's a really good way to meet other people um, in a more formal setting that isn't just at lunch or in the hallway or at a session um and then from there you know seeing if there's any committees you can join even if it's just a small role um i think is a good way to scaffold it and, and get more involved that way um i'm kind of at that point for myself you know i I have my full-time job, I have PD for ideas, and I think I want to add something next. So um, there's just, there's a lot of opportunities. And I think if you uh, can't find it, find a way to make it happen. Right, right. Um, so for example, I've always wanted to teach a college success skills course, um, because I have a master's in student affairs and I'm a first generation student. And so that's just a topic I'm really passionate about. And my university doesn't have one. So two coworkers and I developed a proposal and now it's on the schedule for fall. Um, and it did, I mean, it was a lot of work to uh, gather data and see what other universities are doing and develop an outline and a course description. But I think, um, that's something that I really enjoy doing is either getting involved or finding gaps and finding ways to fill them. Um, And it will really help to set yourself apart
0: awesome awesome i think uh the one thing that i I hear constantly from all instructional designers is they're so good at carving their own path out you know Uh, we always keep finding innovative ways not just of presenting information but also um carving your our own experiences out so um i want to thank the two of you for for coming um on and speaking with me during the episode and to my listeners about to really good opportunities uh, which are which are practically free or little little to none cost and um, and for giving innovative ideas on how to get involved and add to resume and networking skills. Thank you both for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you Pauline. And thank you Zandia. You can find links to both organizations' websites in the show notes. I have also included a link to PD for ID's Facebook group where you can leave questions or comments. Thank you for listening to the Redefine Instruction webcast series. We welcome feedback. Leave a comment or question on any of our social media pages. We look forward to hearing from you. Until then, stay tuned for the next episode.